Hey, listeners, ever have trouble getting someone on the phone when you have a question about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person any time, day, or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. I love fast cars, but there aren't a ton of high-performance EVs. They're certainly out here there. But when I, when I get a chance to get behind the wheel of one, it's, I love it. And I was blown away by the Kia EV6 GT. When you get behind the wheel of the Kia, it, it is literally like being in a state-of-the-art rocket ship, but also comfortable. The thing goes from zero to 60 in 3.4 seconds. It is the premium driving experience. And of course, it's an EV. So the climate thanks you. SiriusXM provides access to over 165 channels in the vehicle. Music, sports, news, comedy, yacht rock. Let's go. Little little steely Dan going in your Kia. Come on now. So check it out today. It is the all-electric Kia EV6 GT. I had a blast checking it out. Believe me, you should do it yourself via kia.com slash EV6. To learn more, that is kia.com slash ev6 kia movement that inspires you know when you're at the top you know the pressure is such that you almost don't want to live there nobody really wants to live there for long you know so you're gonna kind of you're gonna parachute down from that one way or the other Hey, everybody. Welcome to Literally. Thank you for taking the time out of your life to spend some time here. Um, John Taylor from Duran Duran is here today. That's right. I said it. Uh, Duran effing Duran. Come on. I lost more girlfriends to this guy in the 80s, probably than anybody else. Probably. And... And yet, I remain a fan, a huge fan. And these guys are killing it today. I, you listen, there's nothing I love more than an 80s icon who's still killing it in 2023. All right, let's get at it. John Taylor. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? How you love? How are you? Yeah, great. Great. Nice to be on your show. Oh, thank you. I was tempted to call you the mayor of Montecito, but... Um, oh, my God. Yeah, are you in Montecito or are you in Santa Barbara? Uh, I'm in Montecito. I mean, I'm, right now oh, I'm in fun. Santa Barbara, but I, I, I've been uh-huh. here for th- almost 30 years. I, I love it. I mean, we get we got, we come up to San Isidro. That's our, that's our getaway. We I love, I love that part of the country. It's just... That part of the state's beautiful, isn't it? Good for you, yeah. It's um, where do you spend most of your time these days? 
Well, you know, LA's base, yeah. you know, that's where I go back to. But, you know, the band, the rest of the band all live in London. So, how come you're the only you one know, who escaped we, to, to, oh I mean, it takes, I, mean, I got the lucky. Am I wrong? It takes, well, a, actually, it takes a commitment, I think, to say, nope. Uh uh-uh. uh. Yeah, it does. I mean, you know, actually, my first wife, I got to, I got to credit her. She got me out of, she got me out of there. She got me to LA, uh, 30 years ago. And, you know, she had, strangely enough, I'd, I mean, I've been to LA a number of times on tour, never got a taste for it at all. Never imagined it would be a place that I'd want to live. But my first wife, Amanda, she, um, her grandmother had lived in like Lookout Mountain, Laurel Canyon, her whole life. And so Amanda introduced me to that part of the city. And I was like, wow, I re- this is great. And, um, you know, and I started making friends. I was thinking of you. I was thinking of Cassian Elwes. Oh, you know, he was yes. one of the first friends. He and Priscilla were two of the first friends that we made when we got in there. And I, we got a nice friend group go- going. And I just had a just had a baby. I was joining these daddy and me groups, <laughs> and like everybody was in the film business, but me. You know, and I, and I, thank God because I, you know I can only imagine how challenging that is. So I don't know. Just steadily, I got sober in LA, and I just. I don't know. I just got locked in. It's just the rest is history. It's a great place to go back to when you've been on the road for a while. You know, it's... Uh, I uh, Oh, yeah. I used to, um, when my oldest was oh, six months old and I'd take him in a stroller on hikes, I would pass Amanda with, and with Atlanta on right. the way up to the trailhead and she'd yeah. wave and Atlanta was... So Atlanta's how old now? 32. Oh, my... God. Yeah, yeah. That's Yeah, she's living in New York. She's you know, she's got a life. She's she's a good girl. That's amazing. That's yeah. uh I was just by the way, I was just listening to the new um to Dance Macabre. I was I, I'm in the studio, a proper studio right now. So I was like, you know what? Let's put it on. Let's listen to this thing. It's first of all, I love the notion that this album is a Halloween themed. Mm. Also, the artwork is cool. Although nobody looks at albums anymore, it's so sad. Nobody gives mm-hmm. a shit. They just hear the songs. Very cool. I want to get it. I was thinking, should I? Should that be my tattoo? That that sort of red skull or whatever it is. Like I was like, that's pretty sick. I could put that on. Yeah. I could put that on my body. I think it's. I think it's. A, it's an old English. I think it's Hogarth. I think. Oh. I, I got the feeling it's like an. It's taken from like an. You know, old English artwork it's um yeah it, I, it's definitely, I think i know what you're talking it's about definitely got a i think thing. that's what it is it's got a yeah. it's got a it's got a vibe to it um yeah 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 i mean i mean look we we, we did a gig uh we did a vegas show on halloween last year and decided to turn it into a halloween extravaganza and we've been full full drag i mean you know everybody was so excited i've been doing halloween you know in america for many years i was like okay you know <laughs> Uh, but, uh, but, you know, then it led to some song choices and I think we, we played seven or eight cover songs. We went through this long list of like, like this Halloween mixtape and we're like, oh yeah, we could do that. And, you know, and there were certain, you know, Talking Heads, Susie and the Banshees, the specials. Yeah. It's like, yeah, why not? You know, and the way that we, you know, we, we have, you know, typical Duran Duran way of doing things. You know, if we're going to just play a song live, we can't just play it live. We've got to go into the studio, record it. Everybody's got to figure out exactly what they're playing. And then we play it like that on stage. 
<laughs> Twice the work. So, so now we, we've done the show, everybody had a good time, and we're sitting on some really cool recordings of these seven or eight cover songs. So, so then we're like, well, maybe we should put these out. I think I said something like, you know, we should have this on Spotify tomorrow. And uh, Nick said, mm, I don't know, maybe it should be an album. And um, then, you know, then he proposed taking a couple of older Duran songs like Waiting for the Night Boat off the first album and sort of repurposing it for this Halloween project. Then, you know, we've got essentially an album and um, then really like 11th hour, we're about to deliver it. We've got the artwork and somebody says, how about a new song? And so we had five days before our UK tour started in April. We went into the studio in London and we got three new songs. Wow. So it's actually, so those added into the mix create a fairly unusual blend of old and new and and so relatively effortless usually uh, making our albums are just torture it's like it's like two years of your life gone and um and this was relatively easy we mixed it while we were on the road and um and yeah and and every time i say yeah we've got a new album coming out in uh, october i'm like really we do (laughs) (laughs) right and it's album what number like eight something crazy is it 18 is that possible no that can't be no i don't think it is but i'm not counting rob i mean i mean like Uh, i could get i could get lost in that oh look we've been told it's number 16 okay Okay. 16 right sweet 16 that's not nothing no that's not nothing i mean look you and i both survived uh our, our teen magazine phase and we're still here yeah i think we probably i think you and i shared a cover or two of uh yes 16 magazine i'm pretty sure yeah, Teen Beat. Teen Beat. I, I think it's, there's, I don't know who came up with the look first, you or me, but we definitely had, I think we were sharing, a, did you, yeah, you had earrings at some point, you must have, right? Oh, yeah, I did, I did. I never did the diamond stud, did you? No, I was dangly, which by the way, the kids today mm. tell me that is really a bold choice. Right, yeah, I mean, I like the, uh, you know, the ring, I think I had a gold, a gold ring. I'm not a big jewelry guy, to be honest. I mean, I'm kind of like, I've kind of got a thing going on at the moment, but typically I've, n- I've never really been a big, in fact, I lost, just lost my freaking wedding ring down a plug hole in a backstage area. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, it's the, it's, uh, and it's not the first one to go either. But um, yeah, I don't know. I've never been a, I've never really been a big jewelry guy. Who were your, um, who were your sartorial idols? Who were like when you were growing up? Well, Brian Fair, I know, I know you were a big Brian yeah. Fair guy, right? Well, Roxy Music, you know, when Roxy Music first came along, I mean, they were so exotic and they were kind of, they were kind of raunchy, but loungy at the same time. It was like satin, leather, animal prints, you know, it was everything. And, um, you know, it's hard, you know, I mean, any any guy can look at like Roxy Music 1.0 and go, oh, that's a look I wouldn't mind wearing. Um, I mean, Bowie obviously did extraordinary things with clothes, but you couldn't really see yourself in it no um punk was really the big turnaround because because when particularly the sex pistols and the clash came along they had very very particular looks that that anybody could copy in fact you know a couple of the boys we were talking last night about you know simon was saying yeah i had my mom 
you know, stitch some zips into a T-shirt, you know, and she's saying, why are you putting zips into the T-shirt? <laughs> you know, you know, I mean, we could, we were all tearing our clothes and safety pinning them back together. And, you know, like the Clash did this sort of like Jackson Pollock inspired thing where they splattered paint all over these secondhand clothes and, and anybody could do it, yeah. you know, so you could get in, you know, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't like looking in vogue and seeing what was cool. It was just like, it was easy. Everybody could do it. DIY. Jonesy's a, a longtime good friend of mine. And I know you guys had a super group, Steve Jones. And yeah. Sex Pistols. Yeah. What? Yeah. You've, yeah. you've had so many different iter- iterations of groups. What has, and obviously you can't, you know, Duran is its own thing, but what's been, what's been the most fun? Are they all have the, have something special to offer? Because I think Duff and yeah. Jonesy, touring with those lunatics, yeah, must but, have been beyond belief. But, yeah, but you know, you say that, but I mean, I mean, I mean, Duff. I mean, I remember he and I we flew up to Seattle together, and we reached into our bags on the plane, and we were both reading "Pillars of the Earth" by Ken Follett. Oh boy, you know, it was like what? wow. You know, I mean, actually, Duff is a really erudite, really bright guy. You know, and, and all I knew of him before was I'd watched him, I'd seen Guns N' Roses at Wembley Stadium and Duff did this thing where he would like, he would spit and he would hit the back of his head to, so that the spit just went further than any <laughs> musician I've ever seen spit on stage before. That was like, when I thought of Duff McKagan, I thought of, oh yeah, he's that spitting guy. But when I got to know him, what a soul, you know, I mean, he's a beautiful cat, you know. Jonesy, I mean, he, at that time, you know, I was kind of like, I was kind of worn out with, with Duran and I was kind of worn out with the studio process and all of it. And, you know, I mean, anybody that knows Jones, he knows how funny he oh is, my God. you know, and he's, he's actually like, he's like a musical old school kind of comic, you know, the way, you know, he'll do funny walks. He'll do anything to like, you know, bring down the temperature in a room to make, you know, people feel comfortable. And, and so working with him in the studio was really good fun. And I needed that. I needed that experience. Um, it was also like, we would go on stage, you know, we started out at the Viper room and, you know, and, and we'd do a bit of planet earth and I'd sing like, you know, I don't know, 60 bars of planet earth. And then, and then we'd stop and then we'd go into bodies off never mind the bollocks no. and the kids were just like what, what the, the fuck, fuck? Yeah, exactly <laughs> yeah. i mean you know i mean it was brilliant sort of getting to surprise people like that and you know and then it kind of became then we we got a deal we made an album and then it started to feel uh it started to feel a little bit like the thing that it was supposed to be a break from um and um yeah and then you know, I mean, it, you know, it was a wonderful experience and, um, you know, and it really helped me, you know, find my groove again. Um, but, you know, Duran is like now, you know, we're so kind of, you know, we sort of surrendered to each other in a way. And we're, we're really, I think we're really bringing out the best in each other right now, you know, and it isn't always pretty, you know, we challenge each other, but you know, you need to be challenged. I think, or, or, or I do, and um, and I feel like that's that's all I need to be doing. You know, I, I don't see any more any more side bands in the future. Yeah, I. But you never. But you never know. Well, you know, no two travelers are exactly alike, and that means no two trips should be either. Texas, vast landscape of cultures 
regions, destinations, and activity allow for such an infinite number of different travel experiences. I mean, I love Texas. I go like this, the people of Dallas, the culture of Austin, and I love any time I get there. If you're a beach person, well, you can go have fun in the sun with Texas 350 miles of coastline. If you're a rugged vacation type, there's campgrounds, hiking trails, state parks, golf is nuts there, foodies, you got your Texas barbecue and live music in Austin. And of course, if you're into the cowboy scene, you can certainly find it there. And now, Travel Texas offers a -a one-of-a-kind online trip builder that allows users to generate a custom trip matched to their own unique interests. So visit TravelTexas.com slash GetYourOwn to get the only trip to Texas that matters, yours. That's TravelTexas.com slash GetYourOwn. You know the only thing I ever let interrupt my podcast? My dog. Take a minute now, please. Pet your dog while you learn about Bark, the company dedicated to making dogs happy. Every month, BarkBox designs and delivers a whole new collection of toys and treats just for your best bud. Every toy is tailored to your pup's size and play style. From squeaky plush toys from BarkBox to ultra-tough durable ones from Super Chewer, every treat is made with yummy, healthy, all-natural ingredients like pumpkin and sweet potato. Each box is inspired by a new theme and comes with fun surprises for you and your dog. For a limited time, they'll double your first box of goodies for free. I love making my dogs happy. Love it. It's my favorite thing in the world. And my dogs are obsessed with their chewable toys. BarkBox offers treats, keep my dogs healthy, and amazing new toys that keep my dogs entertained. To get your free upgrade, go to BarkBox.com slash Rob. So I came home to a little gift in my bathroom the other day from our friends at Harry's. To get what you want, you have to challenge the status quo and blaze your own trail. You know who challenged the status quo? Harry's. They saw customers getting ripped off by questionable products in the shaving industry and decided they had something better to offer. So instead of charging the same old ridiculous prices, Harry's found a way to make their beautifully designed razors, and they are beautiful, for a fraction of the price of the other big brands. Exceptional products, honest prices. That's Harry's. They have the highest customer satisfaction in shaving history and a no-risk trial. Don't like your shave? No worries. It's on them. Convenient subscription options that you can cancel at any time. And Harry's also has other self-care products that meet the same quality standards as their razors. Richly lathering, skin-softening body wash and scents like Redwood, Wildland, and Stone. And an extra high-quality, amazing-smelling deodorant for just five bucks. I love their stuff. I'm so impressed by Harry's products. All of it. It's all good. Don't settle for the status quo. Blaze your own trail with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com slash rob. That's harrys.com slash rob for a $3 trial set. What's it like to write or to do a James Bond theme? I think yours might be mm. one of my favorite. In terms of, by the way, they've all been pretty sick. When you think about it, 
Totally. Like, how have they killed it every fucking time? Every time those James Bond themes are insane. Yeah. Well, isn't it? You know, it's interesting. If I think about music from the 60s and the early 70s that that I love, you know, mm-hmm. and I think about the Beatles and Bowie and James Brown, the Rolling Stones, whatever, you know. And then I'm like, oh, yeah, and that Bond thing, Diamonds Are Forever. Oh, yeah, <laughs> right? and that Bond thing, Goldfinger. You know, they're like, they're anomalies, you know, yeah. but amazing pieces of music. And, you know, when we did A View to a Kill, I mean, man, we, I mean, we, I got to know John Barry. I got really close to John. And... The you com- know, John Barry, and, the, comp- the composer, yeah, John Barry? Yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. He's, he's my all-time, all-time, all-time uh, favorite composer. Yeah, no, I mean, he's, he's, he's awesome. And, you know, and to, it, was, it was tough. Again, you know, it was, a, it was a tricky, there was a lot of personalities in the room that had to be navigated. But, you know, we, 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 we knew there was a remit even then, right? There was a remit. There was, I think that there's... You know, James Bond themes have to be sexy. They have to have drama and they have to be cool. And, you know, and I think since Duran, it's almost become like a song contest. It's like an every three year triennial song contest. And you're right. Everybody that does it does something interesting with it. I did a, I did a podcast on Bond music a year or so ago. Which caused me, because I would always say, if anybody asked me, I'd say, yeah, yeah, I love the early, I love the John Barry stuff. But actually listening to almost everything, you know, the later, the later, um, songs, I kind of like all of them because it's, yeah. it's really the kind of music that I like to listen to. Um, and I, th- I, you know, Billie Eilish, you know, she and her brother talked about it in their documentary. And they were saying when they got, when they were approached, you know, they kind of, immediately knew what they wanted to do because just as just for fun as as a as a writing exercise they would say to each other let's write a james bond song so you know there is i mean whether you're adele or you know whomever you are you kind of you kind of know what it means when somebody asks you to do that you kind of know where you're going to go with it it's just and live and let die yeah live and let die is a bond theme Absolutely. They, they kind of yeah. end up standing on their own in in terms of, the, of an artist's career. And you go, no, no, that was a Bond theme. Oh, yeah. was it? Oh, yeah, of course. Um, yeah. And also, the other thing, you, yeah. missed, you missed one other criteria, which is amazing, is pretty much the title of the movie has to be the title of the song, or at least have it mentioned. Yeah. That's not easy. Well, yeah. And, uh, yeah. and to this day, we are forever grateful that we didn't get a Quantum of Solace. What would you do? What would you do? You know, it wouldn't be easy. I'll tell you, I'll tell you, I'll tell you, you'll appreciate it though. I, I, this, you know, I, I met, um, I was dating a girl at the time that had been in Octopussy and I was at, I was at a party in London at Langham's. Oh yeah, of course. Sure oh yes. Oh yes. Yeah. And Cubby Broccoli was there. Oh, what? The, and I the said, man. Oh, you've, yeah. I said, you've got to introduce me. Yeah. Right. You've got to introduce me. And so I sat down with him. What a lovely man, you know, and I, you know, and we talked and he said, come, come and see me tomorrow. So I went to Eon Productions, which were in South Audley Street in Mayfair then. His Rolls Royce is parked right outside. Big, big Rolls Royce. Of course, Cubby was a big guy with a big desk. Amazing. And, you know, couldn't have been nicer. And um, sits me down. He says, I'm going to get John Barry on the phone. And uh, so he gets John on the phone from New York. He says, John, I want you to meet John Taylor from Duran Duran. 
I want you to, I want you to work with Duran. I want you guys to write the theme song together. And John was like, well, I don't, well, I don't know. I, I don't know about that. And Cubby was like, I want you to make this work, John. You know, wow. it was an offer he couldn't refuse. And, and then, and then we were off. I mean, it was, and you know, it, it's, um, it's a great ride working, working with those guys, you know. Yeah, it was it was great. A great experience. Yeah, you guys did it. You worked that title in A View to a Kill. I mean, the, my only experience was that I, I did a, a might have been the same year. I did a movie called St. Elmo's Fire and they they had to work the phrase St. Elmo's Fire into. Yeah. And David Foster, I've, I think I've told this story before, but it makes me laugh every time I tell it. David Foster, who wrote the song, had another song that he'd written as like a sort of inspirational Canadian national anthem about a, a guy who wheelchaired his way across Canada to raise money um, called Man in Motion. And that was the name of the tour. He was the Man in Motion. So he just put the songs together. He just, and literally, if you listen to the song, it's like, I'm a man in motion, St. Elmo's fire. Like not even an attempt, <laughs> not, even, not even an attempt yeah. to make it anything about the movie. It's the best though. John Park. He's a bit of a genius. He's a bit of a genius, though, isn't he? Oh, you know, yeah. There's actually a nerd, a nerd fact. There's a song by Brian Eno called St. Elmo's Fire on his third solo album, Another Green World. It's one of his greatest songs, and it has a Robert Fripp solo that is considered by many Robert Fripp fans to be his finest hour. It's fantastic. Really? Track. Okay, I make, I, yeah. I make a note of that. Someone who's listening, yeah. make a note for me to... I had no idea. I I love that. Um, I was going to see uh, Brian Ferry at Albert Hall. The only time anyone's ever canceled a show twenty minutes before, and I and I and I love him. He's a great he's a great guy, but he had vocal issues, and I I just never got to to see him yet yeah. so far. But yeah, that was I saw. Um, did you see Bowie in the Canary Suit era? The uh, Let's Dance Yellow yeah. Canary Suit. Yeah, I saw him in um, in the south of France at Frisius. Um, oh, which is this Roman amphitheater, beautiful, beautiful venue. And I saw him, I think I saw him in Sydney, right at the, like, you know, six months later on that tour. Yeah, that was amazing. Look, you and I have been blessed to see the Titans, but like, I feel like every once in a while, there's a moment where an artist is in the, I don't know if it's just the, the fact that they're in the zeitgeist at that moment in such a big way or if it's something about them. But like I, I have friends that saw um, the Beatles at the Hollywood Bowl and they swear they had auras, visible <laughs> halos. And Bowie, when I saw him in that canary suit, was much the same. It was like, oh, this is something above and beyond just being a big rock star who's having a moment. It was... It was unbelievable. I'll never forget it. Yeah. I mean, I mean, the thing about Bowie was that he had this run of albums in the 70s um, that like every album was a challenge to his audience. You know, he, he kept moving it forward. It was like he was, he was, he could not stay still. He had to keep moving the art forward. And, it, and, and just as you've got wrapped your mind around Diamond Dogs, he did Young Americans. And just as you'd come to terms with that, he'd do Station to Station and so forth. And, but what I like about David more than anything now is when we, when you consider, and I, and anybody that's starting out in, mis in business and wants to put their music on YouTube, like their first demos, I say, look at what Bowie did. 
you know, in the 60s. I mean, he was in so many different bands. He had so many different haircuts. He tried so many different <laughs> styles of music. I mean, he was so hungry for success, but, but he didn't arrive fully formed. It seemed that way. You know, in 1972, you know, a lot of people talk about Bowie performing on Top of the Pops and playing, singing Starman, and he had his hair and these clothes and this sound. And, but, you know, it took him a long time to get there. It took him sort of eight, solid years of of trial and error really you know and so by the time it came he was you know i mean he was uh you know he was a professional you know it wasn't his first merry-go-round how how much of that is it's funny because when i think of that just being a devil's advocate a little bit i go how do you um do what have that same experience, but then also go, I need to be authentic to who I am because there's only one you, right? Did you know what I'm saying? It's like... Yeah. But you know, Bowie, if anybody, if, if, if any artist, rock star has ever been referred to as a, as a man of many faces, it's Bowie. It's him, right. You know, and, you know, he went through his folky phase, you know, he went through his mod phase, you know, and... um you know, so but, it's not it's not a calculated thing. I think is is what you're. It's well, it's not calculated, but I think he went to New York for his, you know, and he met Andy Warhol, and he kind of got into the war, and then then the Warhol crew all came to London, and he he got to hang out with them, and you know, his his wife at the time gave him that incredible haircut, you know, and then he amazing. met Mick Ronson, and I was always a huge fan of Mick Ronson, you know, and Mick is like one of the great unsung heroes of of seventies music in a way because he. Not only was he one of the greatest guitarists, he was one of the greatest arrangers. And he, you know, Bowie was the jewel, but he he provided the settings that uh, that he hadn't quite had up to that point. Um, on the tour that you're on now, Nile Rogers is on tour yeah. with you or makes appearances. Yeah. That's so sick. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, you roll that is up, sick. You, you roll up to the show and you hear Sheik playing. You know, no, come and, on. Oh no, and that and the thing is, is that they're like they're tight, like I don't know. Like I imagine Duke Ellington band would have been in the in the fifties. You know, I mean, I say to everybody that comes to our show, I say you've got to get there in time to see Sheik because you're not going to see or hear anything like that again. They sort of they they belong to that old you know go back James Brown Parliament Funkadelic that those tight R and B orchestras that just you just you're never going to see again you know and they've got an incredible songbook and they can turn on a dime. You know, uh, they, you know, it's, it's wonderful. Niles, you know, we first met in 82, I think, at, um, at, uh, in New Jersey. We were opening for Blondie and Niall had just produced Debbie's solo album. And we'd always credited Cheek from, from day one, actually, that, that Cheek had been an inspiration to Duran. And so Niall was aware of that. We met and we just became great friends really and we've made and we've managed to stay friends you know it's it's really wonderful to have a relationship with somebody well there is no other Nile but but it, it it's a really it's a beautiful thing it's um yeah and we're, we're lucky to have him on the road with us I mean sometimes we're like yeah maybe I mean we've been touring with Nile off and on you know for four four years now you know wow. it, it, they're, they're unbelievable fantastic I mean I was just watching um a documentary where he was talking about um, how he came up with the Diana Ross song, I'm Coming Out. And which, by the way, for sure has 
the coolest, funkiest guitar drum fill intro. Yeah. Ever. Yeah. But it just goes on and on. Yeah. When you look at, at his stuff, it just goes on and on. I mean, they, they got so much done. It's crazy. <laughs> you know. I mean, that, you know, so many, so many side projects that they had on the go. I mean, that, 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 their catalog is is amazing. Um, I, I love Tony Thompson. I mean, I I, I, I did a project with Tony. I mean, the, the sheep drummer. He was he was incredible. And and Bernard is like my my main man bass wise. I mean, it was. I mean that it was his playing that really led to me picking up bass. Um, I thought I listened to it, and 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 like like so many great players, Niall and Bernard, they're deceptively simple. Everybody thinks they can play like Nile. You know, oh, it's just like ding a ding a ding a ding ding. But actually, he's playing chords like you will. Ne- I always say Nile's forgotten more than I'll ever know. You know, he mm. he is playing the most intricate Miles Davis chords, and he's doing it in a what a incredibly funky way, extraordinarily musical. You know, if you're ever <laughs> if you're ever fortunate enough to find yourself, you know, if you're a musician and you find yourself in a room with him, just get real close. That's what I do. I just get real close to him and just try to stay up with him. And suddenly I'm playing, I'm like, I'm playing my best. Um, Yeah, he's, he's wonderful. Looking for a sparkling clean bathroom without so much hassle? Wet and Forget Weekly Shower Cleaner is here to revolutionize your cleaning future. Just spray today. Rinse tomorrow and voila, enjoy a sparkling clean shower and tub without any scrubbing. It's the secret to a hassle-free clean bathroom that many are discovering. With over 33,000 five-star reviews, Wet and Forget Weekly Shower Cleaner has proven its effectiveness on shower glass, fixtures, tiles, and more, ensuring everything shines with minimal effort. This product has gained a loyal following thanks to its once-a-week application that makes it a standout in the cleaning aisle. Join the ranks of satisfied users who enjoy more me time and less clean time with Wet and Forget Weekly Shower Cleaner, available at Amazon, Lowe's, Menards, Home Depot, and Ace Hardware. It's the perfect choice for anyone wanting to simplify their cleaning routine. Don't miss out on a chance to transform your bathroom cleaning with just one application a week. Pick up a bottle of Wet and Forget Weekly Shower Cleaner today and join the thousands who've already made the switch to Effortless Clean. Shopping for humans is hard. Shopping for your dog is easy, thanks to Bark. Every month, we deliver toys and treats just for your pup. They deserve to be spoiled every month. At Bark, we send your dog a whole collection of toys and treats made just for them Every single month, whether it's our fun plush toys or our ultra tough toys from Super Chewer, we give your dog exactly what they want. And for a limited time, we will double your first box for free. To get your free upgrade, go to BarkBox.com slash Rob. BarkBox is so convenient and delivers straight to your door and more importantly, right to your dog. I can't wait to try out BarkBox. My dogs need their toys, particularly the chewable toys. Sign up now at BarkBox.com slash Rob for an exclusive offer. This ad is now over. Let's get back to petting our dogs. 
This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. If you've been listening to Literally long enough, you'll know that I am a big believer in getting the help you need. Therapy has been a big, big, big part of my life and something I think we should be all doing as needed, just like checking the oil on your car. I've spoken about this and we all carry around different stressors, big and small. We keep them bottled in and it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe place to get the things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever is weighing you down. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire and get matched with a licensed therapist. And switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Rob Lowe today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash Rob Lowe. I'm going on a um, Steely Dan binge at the moment oh, where right. I, I'm yeah. watching every behind the scenes of those two guys who are so flipping funny and belligerent and hilarious. Love them, love that. But back to the Stones, I mean, you know, a few months ago we got, you know, I, I heard this rumor that they were in the studio with Paul and Ringo, oh, you know. What? And, and I was like, wow. Well, I think, I think in the end it was only Paul, right? And Paul is on the new album. But that, you know, that's something I want to see. That's oh. some interplay. That's a, that's a YouTube clip that I would definitely, you know, I would definitely make time to watch. I'd be very, because, you know, that is, as a writer, you know, he's equal to Mick and Keith. I mean, and oh. how many people, how many musicians could you say that of, you know, and he's not going to keep quiet. He's going to be pitching in with his, well, what, what if you sang the third Mick, you know? Yeah. I mean, it'd be, it'd, it'd be quite interesting to see, you know, how that went down. And I thought that was a genius move because, you know, everybody was talking about that, you know. I mean, you know, you can't, I mean, Mick is extraordinary. I, I, I actually, I love um, the, the theme for Slow Horses that he, that he wrote and that he sang. Yeah. I don't know whether, whether you've heard that, you know, he, he, he's, he's a great vocal stylist. And, and, and I also think I was, Simon and I were talking the other day. He's, I think the most underrated songwriter alive today, you know, because we, because when you think of Jagger, you just think of the Jagger, you think of him on stage doing his thing, you know, but those songs he's never written. I don't, I feel like he's never written a bad lyric, you know, all his lyrics and even like the B songs, you know, on albums like, you know, it's only rock and roll or black and blue. They're all cool. You know, yeah. they're all interesting. It's never nonsense. You know, and even, even in the hits, it's remarkable. Well, even the hit, the, the hits that are these iconic, you, you, you just, they're in, in our DNA. When you just think about the lyrics, they're, they're in, lyrics, you can't always get what you want. Yeah. It's insane. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. And, and on and on and on. I, I'm a huge Mick guy. Huge. I, yeah. I saw them at um, Old Shella. Yeah, I did. Did, weren't they great? Weren't they Fantastic. great? So yeah. I'm not crazy, right? I'm not crazy because I've seen no. them a lot over the years. But I was like, yeah. wait a minute. Yeah. Yeah. This is great. Yeah. Who, who's your favorite um, pop bass? Well, you already said so. It's, it's um, from Chic. Yeah, and he turned me on to James Jameson, the Motown guy. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and, um, you know, the Philly Soul guy, Ronnie. Um, I mean, you know, there's not, I mean, you know, contemporary bassists 
I mean, we've got Vicky from Maniskin on this new record. You know? <laughs> and I think right now she is like, what she's doing for electric bass, she's turning like a whole generation of girls, particularly, uh, onto electric bass. She's a force, man. And, you know, I met those guys uh, and um, I was at a party and I'd met the drummer once before. He's like, oh, the whole band are here. You must meet us. You know, this is so-and-so and so-and-so. And I meet the singer and the guitar player is super sweet. And, and this is Vicky. She's the bass player. I'm like, what? <laughs> and like, you're the bass player. Oh my God. You know, she's such a, <laughs> she's a pistol, you know, and sweet, but like sexy and charming. And, and so we're talking about bass and, um, who's your favorite bass? Who was your bass inspiration? You know, she's like Tina Weymouth. I'm like, wow. Yeah. Tina Weymouth, of course. So like, you know, so like Duran, we're doing Psycho Killer. I'm like, I got to get Vicky on this. Oh, so wow. you know, Vicky, she Sick. flew up to London and uh, and came and played on the track, and um, and she was just, she was so professional and so sweet, and uh, you know, so I actually think again, she's she's doing wonders for electric bass right now. She's out there selling it, you know, to a, to a lot of to a lot of young kids. Psycho Killer, what a great. Mm. Um, any Oingo Boingo in there? No. Because I, I, I'm always like, they're, when I think, I remember their amazing Halloween shows. I, I must have gone to 5,000. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, that's a thought. I mean, we never really got them over, over the water. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I think that I probably was aware of Danny Elfman as a, as a, you know, as a composer. And then right. somebody said, yeah, he was in a band called Oingo Boingo, you know, and that's kind of how I, how I came to them. Dead but, Man's uh, Party. Dead Man's mm, Party for mm, me, mm. the ultimate. It's it's so insane. It's I mean, in the thing right. of what he did there and then went on to to write so many scores. I've had him on 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 the show as well. He's it's it's, it's he's great. Where um what are your next dates? Are you off for a couple of weeks or are you back out? No, I'm in DC for a couple of days. We play here on Wednesday. Then we're kind of into the last lap. We go up to um Kentucky, Detroit, a couple of shows in Canada. And then we finish in New York on the 22nd, Atlantic City on the 23rd. And then we're done, really, with this, with this touring cycle. And uh, I don't know. I don't know when the, next, um, when the next show will be. We're talking about summer next year, outdoors, festivals. I mean, it's fun to do festivals. You know, we never used to do those back in the day. But Europe particularly, you know, it's a way of reaching, you know, audiences, people that probably wouldn't come to see you if it was just a drone show. The loudest I've ever heard a crowd. Been to a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Super Bowls. Um, every count, without a doubt, Duran Duran. It was a show in Connecticut I came to. Must have been 86. Is that possible? Right. Hartford Civic Center. Yes. Hartford Civic. Yeah. Loudest I've ever heard. Because, right. you know, girls have that ability to put it in, into an octave. It's like a jet engine. Mm-hmm. I'm surprised you're not deaf. I'm surprised you guys aren't deaf. <laughs> yeah, I'm lucky. I don't know. And, and but you know, I, I'm a. I love volume. You know, I may I make everybody around me crazy with volume. I can listen to music loud all the time. <laughs> um, yeah, that was. Uh, I'll never forget it, man. That was. What do you do? You have when you look out at young bands coming up, and and you see them go through the natural phases and the natural evolutions, like you're. You're the outsider, then you break in, then you're accepted, then you're the gold standard, then you have a, a, a fallow period, and 
they're over and then there's the comeback. And like, it, it's the same cliched trajectory, really, mm. for anybody, if you're lucky enough yeah. and talented enough to survive. Everybody yeah. has, I don't care if, who you are, you, right. th- there is. Do you, do you ever just sit back and go, yeah, I, I see what's next. I, I, see, I see how this is, is going to go. Yeah, I mean, I, I, and I, to your point, I think there's even a there's even a self sabotaging that that can happen mm. because, you know, when you're at the top, you know, the pressure is such that you almost don't want to live there. Nobody really wants to live there for long, you know. Mm. So you're gonna kind of you're gonna parachute down from that one way or the other, right. you know. And I think it's just at that point, then it's can you pick up when you're outside of the zeitgeist? I know exactly what you mean by that because you know for our you know, for the first three or four years, we were surfing. We were like, we were, we, without even thinking, we never gave a thought to what's hip or cool because we were just in it, you know. And then you kind of like, you know, you know, then you, you get out of it and you take a break. Somebody has a kid, somebody gets married, you know, you spend your money, put your feet up. And then you're like, oh, and then you get back in the bus and you're like, well, wait a minute. Where's, where is hip <laughs> now? Yes, you know, and then right, you kind yeah, of yeah, chase. Yeah. And then you're kind of chasing it for a while, you know, and you're just trying to write a song like that one, you know, why can't we just, you know, mm-hmm. and then, you know, if you're lucky, you can kind of like, for us, it was the song Ordinary World that just mm-hmm. like, you know, we didn't set out to write a song that would speak to our audience that, you know, these kids that had gone away, got married, you know, had kids. Five years later, they hear Ordinary World and it speaks to them the way that Planet Earth and Girls on Film spoke, you know, or spoke to them five years earlier. Right. You know, and that was like, oh, my God. I mean, we were like into the 90s. Yes. You know, you're into your second decade. And that was massive song. And I think that, you know, again, Simon and I were talking after the show. We're talking about Diane Warren, you know, who she'd written that song with Ferreira Smith, you know. And and there was a time where people were saying, you know, you should get Diane Warren to write a song for you, you know. And and we just kind of held out, you know, and we just figured it out for ourselves, you know. And we just said, uh, we never, you know, we just, we've, we've always had a, well, we haven't always, but when we've needed to, we've had a tremendous sense of possibility within each other. And, you know, and I've gone and written songs, been in the studio with enough other musicians and writers to know that these guys, the potential for doing something great with these guys is, is as likely as, as anybody, you know, that they're hungry, that there's a, there's sensibilities. We, we feed each other really well, you know, um, particularly when it comes to, to writing music, you know, we all, we're all passionate. We all take it seriously. It's, we, we have to have, there has to be an adult in the room. You know, there has to be a producer, you know, whether it's Niall or Mark Ronson or Errol Alken on Future Past. There has to be somebody, and I'm sure you find this with directors. Sometimes, you know, we can get, we can get, we've been doing it a long time. You can get self-conscious about, can I really do this? Is this really me? And sometimes you need somebody outside to say, no, you can absolutely do this, mm-hmm. you know, and, 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 you know, we're like, oh, great. Well, let's go there. You know, sometimes it really helps. Well, almost always it helps to have somebody outside reminding you who you are and what you do, you know, better than anybody. There's a reason why you got to be who you are. And it's tricky because, you know, you've got an audience that would, to some extent, would have you do remakes of the hits forever. 
right. you know, yep. but that producer sort of stretches that. But yep. if they're the right producer, they're fans of the band or they, they at least understand the DNA of the band and they can see, they, they see the possibility that remains in it, you know. So we're lucky. We've, we, we're lucky. We've got great producers that we've worked with over the years. That's the most important choice for us. But like the new song, the songs on the new out on, on Dance Macabre, you know, we got Ben Hudson in for two of the songs. He worked on Paper Gods with us and Niall came in and wrote Black Moonlight with us. So, you know, we're really lucky. And I think people enjoy coming to the studio with Duran for a couple of days, a couple of days. A couple of days. <laughs> you know. Nobody wants to be in for years. Yeah, we can get, we, nobody likes getting lost in the weeds. You know what I mean? It's like, you know. Yes. But sometimes, yeah. sometimes, you know, you've got to go through, sometimes you've got to go through those phases. Well, the, the new album is sick. It sounds good. And by the way, it sounds good loud. I think it needs to be played loud. Yeah, I'm all for that. I mean, we we still have our hearing, so might as well, yeah, well yeah. De- destroy what we have left. Agreed. Uh, it was great having you, man. This is so fun. Uh, Thank uh, you. It's always a good day when the Durans are in the house. Appreciate and, uh, it. And uh, yeah, Ca- Cass Elways, he's my, I love him so much. I love yeah, Cass and yeah, Priscilla. Yeah. I lo- I, that, those are, that was a great time. It was a great time in LA. It was a great time in LA. Really great. I mean, they were like, I don't know. They, I mean, they had, it was like they had a salon. Cassie oh, they did. They were, you know, they had the I, mean, I, met, I met Timothy Leary, you know, at their house. And, and, and I mean, when they broke up, I mean, I mean, people were like, you know, it was like, what? Yeah. What? <laughs> you know, where are we going to, where are we going to meet people? You know, I know where, where will all the Brit expats go yeah, in LA? Yeah. 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 They were, they were great. Their kids are beautiful. You know, yeah. they're, they're, and Cassie and he's, he's just, he's just lovely. There's nobody like him. Yeah. Nobody yeah. like him. Total original. They'll never, yeah. they'll never be another. Oh, thanks, man. I'm, I'm super excited. Um, so glad you're doing great. It really makes me happy. What a great guy. Great guy. Looks great. Killing it. So inspiring. Really, really inspiring. I'm pumped up. All right. You know what time it is. It's time to check the lowdown line. Hello, you've reached literally in our lowdown line where you can get the lowdown on all things about me, Rob Lowe. 323-570-4551. So have at it. Here's the beep. Finally got around to watching The Grinder based on all your references on your show and really, really loved it. Loved all the dramatic music. Loved how it reminded me of lots of kind of crazy dramas from my youth um, and all just the excellent um, cast in there and how you guys all work together. Sure wish there were more seasons. My question is, you've been in so many different movies and TV shows where once in a while you probably have to learn how to do a certain skill well enough to look authentic. Say, for example, learning how to skate in your hockey movie, Youngblood, or maybe, of course, what you've talked about with the saxophone for um, St. Elmo's Fire. Was there ever something that you had to learn where you ended up falling in love with it and it became a big part of your life? Uh, That's my question. Thanks, Rob. Oh, thanks, brother. That's super nice. Um, Yeah, so I literally did not even know how to skate when I signed up to do Youngblood. I mean, I could skate, but the wobbly ankles, 
you know, skating around the ice rink at Christmas, holding hands with a girlfriend, uh, you know, skating up to the boards and grabbing on to stop. That was the, the level of my skating. And I did a super intensive, um, it was four to six weeks. I forget really, um, skating every day, power skating coach, um, weights training, and then, um, hockey coaching. And by the end of it, I could skate pretty, pretty damn well. Um, I did all my own skating in young blood, uh, except stick handling, as you know, as a hockey coach is a whole other level of expertise. So anytime there's any complex stick handling, it's not me. So if you see a puck in the shot, it's not me. Yeah. If you see a puck in the shot, it's not me. And if there is no puck and no stick handling involved, it's me doing the skating. I probably did 80% of the skating in Youngblood, but I did not do that penalty shot. Thanks for the question. I don't know about you guys, but I am, I'm, I'm going to be doing a deep dive of the Durands right now. I got to go uh, get on the treadmill. Got an hour I got to do. It's going to be Duran Duran for a solid hour. Oh, and St. Elmo's Fire. The other version of St. Elmo's Fire I discovered. It's Robert Fripp's guitar. Let's go. Um, thanks, you guys. Really, really, really great show. Thanks for being with me. And I'll see you next week here on Literally. You've been listening to Literally with Rob Lowe, produced by me, Nick Liao, with help from associate producer Sarah Bagar. Research by Alyssa Grawl. Editing by Jerron Ferguson. Engineering and mixing by Rich Garcia. Our executive producers are Rob Lowe for Low Profile, Adam Sachs, Jeff Ross, and myself for Team Coco, and Colin Anderson for Stitcher. Booking by Deirdre Dodd, music by Devin Bryant. Special thanks to Hidden City Studios. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time on Literally with Rob Lowe. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com.